first things first, I just want to give a round of applause. Welcome our online audience, guys. Welcome our online audience. We're so, we're so glad that you're with us. We're so glad you're tuning in. Um, and we're just believing that, that uh, there's no distance in the spirit. So you are just as much here as everybody else. Um, we're just going to keep going with giving. Um, and so, man, whether you are giving, you know, whatever, I don't know if you guys can see it or not, but the Lord is on this house. It's like his will. It's not the will of anybody else, but it's his will. And so um, whether it be, you know, through the youth, whether it be through Train Christian Academy, missions, um, outreach to the community, whatever it may be, man, that's the heart of, it's the heart of God and it's the heart of this house. And so we just want to give opportunity to sow into that. And so um, if you're online, you can go to the, the, the giving tab. You can give there. If anybody in here wants to do that, you can do that whenever. You can text to give. There's envelopes on the seat backs plethora of ways um, and so make yourself available to that if the ushers would stand I'm going to go ahead and pray and we're going to keep going so Father I just thank you, thank you Wade Lord I just thank you for your goodness I thank you for your grace and your mercy Father, thank you for just just new mercies every single morning Lord I thank you for the gift and the giver I thank you for the seed being sown Father I thank you that you do so much more with it that it's yours and we're just giving it back it's yours Father and so we just pray right now that, that this word would come forth, that it would convict, that it would take root inside of us. And Lord, I just give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Lake Church. Good morning. Hallelujah. God is good and greatly to be praised. Do you believe that? Amen. Are we all right? Hallelujah. Let's shake ourselves and get excited. Amen. Hallelujah. we got a lot of ground to cover. I'm going to try to wrap this up, you know, um, and uh, get us through some things. Amen. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 5, and we're talking about end-time marriage. And I shared with you that you're going to, if you're married in this house, or are wanting or desiring to be married, the Bible says that you're going to have trouble in the flesh. That's just as much a promise. As for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You're going to have trouble in the flesh. Why? Because it's hard for you to believe, but people that love you can be different than you. And they may not have the same ideas that you have and the same philosophy of life. And so a lot of times while we're dating, we're going through the A-side. With the A-side of a single is the hit song that you purchased. And you like that song, and you dance to that song, and you can listen to it over and over and over and over again. But you know you have to flip that over every once in a while, sometimes out of curiosity, but marriage forces you to have to flip that thing over. And that song isn't as strong as the song that was on the A-side. And so majority of your marriage, you're working through the B-side. You're learning to love the song that isn't necessarily your favorite. Amen? Aspects of their personality, aspects of their ideology, aspects of their person that aren't necessarily the most attractive. But that's where agape love comes in. You see, the world doesn't have agape love because it hasn't been shed abroad in their heart by the Holy Ghost. Now it has eros love. It has storge love. You see, it has filio love. 
It has all the different types of love, but it doesn't have agape love because agape is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. It's the love of God. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by what? The Holy Spirit. And when we're born again, we are a love creation from a love God. God is love. He doesn't have love. God loves by choice and will. He doesn't love by feelings and facts. Oh, my goodness. Amen? And so we can't operate that way. If you're going to be successful in any relationship that you have, you're going to not have to be governed by feelings and facts. You're going to have to be led by the Spirit of God. Amen? Amen? And so let's look at uh, Romans chapter 8. You're going to, four things that you're going to have problems in the flesh over are going to be money. And sometimes when you're first married, it's the lack of it. You know, when you get older and get a little bit more secure, it might be the fact that money dictates your time. Money uh, dictates what you're able to do, what you're not able to do. It, 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 uh, it causes you to not prioritize your life properly because people get addicted to attaining wealth. Okay, so workaholism kind of gets in the factor. You know, certain things begin to, you know, erode the relationship as money begins to increase. We begin to get more lazy, less innovative in our relationship. We're not pulling out all the stops anymore because we think, as all people think, that money solves everything. We have something ingrained in us that, that believes that money solves anything. But the best dates I ever took my wife on when I was first married it cost me no money whatsoever. And even when I was dating, you know, it was those cheap dates that were actually the ones that were most memorable. It's usually those ones that you spend a lot of money on that usually end up crashing and burning, if you know what I mean. And your expectations are so high from those things that it begins to create a bitterness. I'm speaking about human behavior here. Amen? It creates a bitterness because your expectations were way too high. So money can affect us on either side. It can affect us with the lack of it. It can affect us with the abundance of it. But the love of money is the root of all evil in your life. And many a man and many a woman have went after the pursuit of wealth and the pursuit of material things at the cost of their relationship. Not just with their spouse, but with their children as well. And the ruse is, and the great deception is, is that if I make more money, my family will be taken care of. When all the while, you're depriving them of the one thing they need. Amen? So I would work at McDonald's if it meant that I had a happy marriage. Oh, God. Most people... Don't. Most people don't think that way, but I'm telling you, I would work, you know, a, a job that didn't require a whole lot of me because guess what? At the end of the time when I'm used up, they have no use for me, but I'm still married. Your mistress is your job many times, men, and she will not pay you later on. 
she'll hurt you. So you better develop your relationship with your spouse. Amen? Amen. And guess what, ladies? Your kids are not the end-all, be-all of your life. Right. I see this now. I'm, listen, don't get mad at me. Write to Bob. <laughs> but this stuff, this is my world. No, you're, you're, that's way too shallow. Because guess what? Your world's going to walk out the door. Your world's not going to come to Christmas dinner this year. Your world's not going to call you when you're in the hospital. Ooh, it gets real thick in here. My goodness gracious. Your world is Jesus. That's the truth. And you never put any relationship above him. Amen. Not your spouse and not your kids. Amen. And that's what's going to keep you true. That's going to keep you in true north. I love my wife. If there was one person in the world that I wanted on a desert island at the expense of any and all other people, it would be her. But I love Jesus more. And guess what? She loves Jesus more than she loves me. As much as that pains me. <laughs> she loves Jesus more. That's the only way, guys. That's the only way. When you love Jesus first, you can't be manipulated. You can't you don't get into idolatry. A lot of a lot of people get into relational idolatry where they begin to worship their spouse, worship their kids. And it causes the curse to come on your life. Because what you worship has to deliver you. What you worship has to sustain you. And if we put, if we devote that worship to people that are fallible and, and flawed like we are, then we're going to be very disappointed. Very disappointed. But there is a perfect Son of God that we can put our trust and hope in. Amen? Okay. Then secondly, you're going to fight about sex, sexy sex. We're going to fight about it, all right? Some are going to fight about the lack of it. Mainly the males of the relationship will fight about the lack of it. Or you'll fight about, Pastor, get this man off me. <laughs> Hello? Too much. Too much. And we're living in a sexualized culture. So the sexualized culture is saying, everybody's having sex. Everybody's having sex, and they're having better sex than you're having right now. Hello. They're having good. And so we've got a pornographic society where every time we see sex, it's always, ah, ah. And that's not the way it is at all. I have to say these things so we grow up. That's people acting. They're acting. I'm sorry. That's just not the way it works. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guys. Hello. Like it's yelling and screaming and hanging off the chandeliers and all this stuff. 
Come on, guys. Sometimes it's just silence in the dead of the night. The kids will wake up. Hello. You got two people that are on drugs performing sex acts to a video camera, and you don't think that's play. You don't think that's acting. That's acting. Yes. That's right. And guess what happens? Young people and older people, all people, think their sex life should be that way. And they're disappointed when their spouse doesn't respond the way they've seen on videos. And they're play acting. There's a director saying, oh, do this and do that and do this. Because it sells videos, it sells downloads. And then we try to take that and push that into our homes and say, well, I need you to act this way. I need you to do this. That You don't act like, the, you know. And, and you may not verbally say it, but in your mind you're thinking, well, why, why isn't this happening like I saw, you know. Hello? And there's no truth to it. It's a lie. It's a facade. It's called show business. Okay? So you're going to fight about sex and your ideas about sex, the amount of sex you should have on any given week, any given month, any given year. It's going to be tabulated. You may not have a calendar, but you'll have it in your head. Men will have it in their head. I can tell you the last time. How many days, hours, and minutes, and seconds? And I use it. Come on. When I'm carnal. Okay. All right. All right. You don't think pastor's ever carnal. Well, guess what? I am. Next thing you're going to fight is your belief system. What you believe. See, you've got a Pentecostal woman and a Baptist boy going to be two very different ways of looking at the Bible, looking at God, looking at ministry, looking at life. Hello. Doesn't mean they can't be worked together, but it just simply means there's going to be issues. One prays in tongues, one doesn't believe in tongues. Tongues is of the devil, tongues is of Jesus. Okay, you're going to have fights about that. Now, I'm using that extreme to kind of show you the differences. So, there, there's different types of being unequally yoked. Okay? We should never be yoked up with an unbeliever. The Bible warns about that. You see, that's not your mission field to date everybody, every unbeliever, and lead them to the Lord. Or to marry every unbeliever and lead them to the Lord. They end up converting you. You begin to have problems. Amen? So you need to get yoked up with someone who has at least, at the very minimum, a relationship with Jesus and is born again. But then there's other types of yoking, unequal yoking. And that is level of commitment, level of uh, doctrine, level of maturity. These are all things that need to be factored in. You're going to have to look at these things. Now, when we date, we don't want to look at this stuff. We don't want to look at it at all. We want to go with the shiny, happy feelings of the relationship and love's first initial blooming in our life causes us to overlook certain things because we're under a spell, so to speak, because we are in the courtship relationship. 
But the goal is, is during that courtship, and the reason why uh, ancient cultures used to give uh, a, a time or a process to that to cultivate, to, to understand and to, under, um, and to get better understanding on who we're marrying and what they really believe and what they really think. Okay? And then fourthly, you're going to fight about kids. You're going to fight about kids, their welfare, their well-being, how you're going to raise discipline is going to be the number one thing you're going to fight over. Who, who gets to do it? You know, the disciplinarian in our family was not me. It was not me. John can attest to that. It wasn't me. It was the general. Okay? Okay? And, uh, you know, the general, you know, she want lockstep, man. Well, lockstep. And we're going to talk a little bit about the differences in personalities. Now, majority of the time that I did discipline was based out of the fact that I just can't stand it no more. But uh, um, hers was basically on principle. It's basically on the fact that certain uh, moral rules are being broken, certain things. So she was more led by, you know, teaching than I was. I was just kind of, man, I, you better stop that, stop that. You know, is a different style. Okay, but you're going to fight over that. And sometimes another spouse won't give uh, authority to the other spouse. And especially when you're dealing with blended families, this is one of the greatest obstacles in blended families, is because you may have other mothers and fathers in the wings or outside that relationship that kind of inhibit you from being able to express yourself in that way and to help the child. Now, the problem with discipline is that uh, we have been carnal in our discipline, and we have abused kids, and we've abused relationships. And there's been times, but the Bible is very clear that when we do discipline, we discipline out of love, not out of hurt, not out of hatred, not out of, um, you know, embarrassment. But that we take the child, we explain to the child what's going on, we administer the discipline, and then we pray together and receive, you know, love and acceptance. Because if you do it wrongly, you'll begin to cause rejection to be cultivated in the child. And then there's a do's and don'ts. There's this, um, um, you know, the fact that they will live a very legalistic lifestyle. Okay, and that's not what you want. You want them to understand grace. Okay, all right? So those four things are going to be a problem for you. Um, but uh, how we deal with those, because every relationship is going to deal with these four areas. You're going to deal with them. You're going to be married. You're going to deal with these four things. But how you deal with them and the foundation by which you deal with them determines success or failure. There is no good parent out there. I'm sorry. There are parents that do good things, but we're all learning. We're like doctors. We're practicing. Practicing parents. Isn't that right? Yeah. Now, we can take guidelines and learn some things, and, but, but listen, we're all practicing. So there's absolutely, you know, people get condemned about, you know, the raising of their kids or what what's going on in their home right now. And, of course, we have to be introspective. We have to be reflective. We have to look at ourselves in the mirror. Amen? But the, the thing about it is, is that we're all flailing. 
Hello. And there's no such thing as the perfect spouse. Absolutely fallacy. There is no such thing. Even though you might think someone else is married to the perfect spouse and you wish they were like that, it's not true. You get over on their side of the fence, you're going to find out that there are just as much problems as the ones that you have. There's an old proverb that says, if everyone in this room would come up and put their problem, write their problems down, you see, on a piece of paper and put it in a hat and was forced to draw someone else's problems, they'd want theirs back. You'd want theirs back. Amen? Because I'm telling you, we're all facing issues and problems. So the purpose of teaching the Word of God in this manner is not to bring condemnation to you. It's not to say because you're struggling or you have struggled or maybe you've, been, you've went through divorce. There's not, no condemnation. Jesus Christ is the healer of all that. Amen? Amen? But we got to understand this in verse 5 of chapter 8. It says, for those who live according to the what? The flesh. Okay? Now, when it talks about the flesh, it's not talking about soma in the Greek, which means body. It's talking about sarks in the Greek. And sarks means the attitude and the mindset of the flesh. Those who operate in the flesh nature. Because that's what you have a choice to do in your married relationship, in all relationships. Either you're going to operate in the spirit or you're going to operate in the nature of the flesh. You've got a choice. Your body isn't bad. Your soma is not bad. It's the attitude and nature of the flesh that brings us into bondage and into pain. But notice this. Set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is what? So anytime I yield to the sarks, to the nature of the flesh in any of these areas, money, sex, belief system, and children, I'm going to operate in the realm of death. I start getting carnal in my sex life, my sex life's going to die. It's going to die. Yeah. If I get carnal in my money, it's going to die. Death is going to be in the result. If I start getting carnal about my kids, death is going to be the result. But it says, But they that mind the things of the Spirit have life. How many could have some more life? And peace. How many need some peace in their relationships? Well, you've got to yield to the Spirit of God. You've got to mind the things of the Spirit and not mind the things of the flesh. The flesh has wants and needs and desires that can't be fulfilled by another person. There's absolutely no way they, it can be. There's not enough. Your flesh has such an appetite that it can't be sufficed. It cannot be satisfied. Amen? Have you ever tried to eat one Oreo? I'd like to get a Lay's potato chips, the barbecue kind, 
and see if what you could eat one of those chips, just one of those chips. I'm telling you, the, the flesh, once it gets an appetite for something, it wants it over and over and over and over and over and over. And then when we don't yield to the Spirit of God, which brings self, what does the fruit of the Spirit? Let's look over there. Ephesians, uh, uh, Galatians, I'm sorry. Galatians. Chapter 5, and it says, um, verse 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So notice those gifts uh, are these fruits of the Spirit of God. They first start with love. You can't have the other eight without love. You can't have the other eight. Self-control comes from love. Amen? It's my commitment to my wife and my love for my wife that keeps me faithful. It's my love and commitment for my spouse and for my children that keeps me away from places on the Internet I shouldn't go. You see what I'm saying? Love is the motivator. Love is the reason why we can have successful relationships. Amen? Okay? All right. So I shared with you that um, you're, you've got your main problems. The main issue is, is that you're going to have problems communicating about those four aspects. So communication is the key. Communication, okay? So we've got a stair step, kind of like of communication here, okay? Now we've got to grow in our level of communication. The first thing is that we get into what is known as pleasantries. Now, I am upside down here, so I may not be spelling this right. Pleasantries, all right? Pleasantries. Hi, how are you? This is what they do to you at uh, Quick Trip. You walk in, and the guy will say, hi. Now, he's not wanting you to camp at his place, at his register, and, and carry a conversation on with him. He's acknowledging your presence. And basically what he's saying is, I got my eye on you, buddy. That's what he's doing. Okay? So the exchange of pleasantries. Hi, how are you? Oh, I'm good. How are you? So there's really nothing that's really exchanged that's meaningful there. But a lot of relationships are based on pleasantries. That's where it ends. And you have a lot of relationships like that, workplace relationships, neighbors. It's just pleasantries. Did you hear that siren the other night? Yeah, I heard, you know, that's about as far as it goes. All right? Unfortunately, there are married relationships that live that way. Okay, all right? So then we get into... Um, 
basically the exchanging of facts, okay, which is a different, different type and a higher level because each one of these are going up to a higher level, all right? They're going to a higher level. So we've got the exchanging of facts and information. Sure is cold out there this morning. Okay. Yeah, it's cold. Are the Steelers going to win today? I don't know. See, this is facts. Okay, so each one of these goes up to a higher level. Now, while you're dating, you'll stay in this mode right here where you're kind of saying, oh, you know. So the next one, the next three are very high level, high trust areas of communication. They require trust. These don't require a whole lot of trust because you're just exchanging information. You're not necessarily talking about yourself. You're not talking about anything that is important to the building of the relationship. You're just saying, how's the weather? Boy, that is a nice sweater that you've got on. Boy, you know, I like those shoes. It's, you know, stay in there. And unfortunately, I have dealt with marriages that have stayed in these two levels. They've never expanded past that. But let me tell you, young people, before you get married, before you get married, you need to get to the top level. You need to get to the top level. And this is very difficult. It's easier for me to write it on a board and for you to say amen to it than to operate in it because the next stage is going to be the litmus test of whether or not you're going to be able to go forward in the relationship, and that is the exchange of, as the Cajuns say, opinions. Okay? Opinions. Oh. I was okay with you liking my shoes and me talking about your sweater. But you know what? You're going a little too far when you're talking about politics. You're talking about church doctrine. Your opinions on raising kids. Your, I'm telling you, the majority of I can I'm gonna I'm not gonna prophesy, but I am prophesying. The majority of your problems at your Thanksgiving and Christmas get-togethers is going to be this. Because there's just a tension that comes with this. Come on now. There's just a tension that comes with this. If you've got someone that came in and they voted for Biden, and you've got, come on now. I'm, I, I got to use it. I got to use it. And you're wearing your MAGA hat. Come on now. There's just going to be some problems. Okay? Now, nothing may be said. There might not be an altercation, but there's just a tenseness in the room. How many know what I'm talking about? People do this with OU OSU in their house. OU loses, you're walking on eggshells. Don't disturb Papa. He's sad. OU lost. 
say it. Take that orange shirt off right now. You laugh. You laugh. But it's the truth. People fight over less things than that. Opinions, okay? So you've got to get these out in the open, guys. I wouldn't marry anybody if I didn't know their opinion about stuff. I don't care how good they look. I don't know how good they, they dress and whether or not your friends are impressed with them. Listen, they can have a great body and be ugly in their opinion. Hello. They can have a six-pack and a six-pack attitude. Amen. And they want to tell you how to live their life because their opinion matters. And depending on what temperament they are, which we're going to talk about in just a moment, depending on which temperament, their opinions are the only opinions. Hello. All right. So the next level we've got to get is into, and this is, again, very sticky. Very sticky stuff. Feelings. Oh, my gosh. We're going up a notch, aren't we? We're going into some heavy-duty territory here because feelings don't necessarily match facts and truth. Okay, so you can have an opinion about something that have the facts and have every dot, you know, every I dotted, every T crossed, but you get in the realm of feelings, that's a totally another playing field. That's a very abstract playing field. Okay? So it doesn't really matter what the facts say. It's how I feel about it. Well, I don't feel that that's the way it's supposed to be. So you're going to fight about your belief system. And your belief system is based upon opinions and facts or feelings. Not the exchanging of facts. Your high-level conversations are going to be about this stuff. When it comes to your kids, it's going to be your opinion and your feelings about your opinion. All right? Now, if you are, if you are given to carnality, this is going to be a real problem for you. Because you're going to be motivated by your feelings, mainly. You're not going to be motivated by truth. And your opinions are going to be divisive and destructive because this is, this is the way my daddy did it. My daddy did something wrong with my daddy? Something, are you saying something's wrong with my mama? Something wrong with the way I was raised? Well, you've only told me for the last five years it was horrible. Oh, people get defensive feelings. Hello. I mean, uh, mother-in-laws and daughter-in-laws and son-in-laws and father-in-laws. You know, you get into that wonderful cesspool. Well, he wasn't raised right. That's my opinion. Well, Dad, he, you know, he, he, well, I feel, 
That's where the rubber meets the road. That's right. And I'm telling you, you better get down to where their, peop their, fe their feelings about things before you move forward. I'm not saying you can't have be friends. I'm not saying you can't date. Don't get married. Amen. Don't get married. Oh. It reminds me of uh, the other guys, you know, where uh, those two guys, you know, do that, and that, that vendor says, free hot dogs for life. No drinks. No drinks. <laughs> That's the way I feel about it. As you can have a relationship, but don't get married. No. Can't do it. Okay? All right. Now you're getting into dreams. Man, I'm running out of ink. Dreams and desires. And I'm telling you, when you start getting up into this, you're really finding out who this person is and what they believe and what they think. A lot of people get married and they don't know the dreams and desires of their prospective spouse. They don't have any idea. They just think, they just want to be with me. That's their dream and desire. I'm their Mount Everest. I'm serious. The goal is to be with me, to do whatever I want to do. That's what people go into marriage thinking of, carnal people. People giving over to the flesh. Well, they just want to be with me. It doesn't matter what he does. doesn't matter what she does. doesn't matter where we live. No, it does matter. It absolutely does matter because you have bypassed these two areas here. You don't even know what their dreams are. See, these are all ways that you can get unequally yoked. You can get unequally yoked in these areas. These are high-level, high-trust areas. These are, tr these are trust areas. There are things in this level you don't share with everybody. In fact, as you go up this ladder, your friends drop off. But guess what? Friends come and go. Children are born and leave. But you got to live with this person because you made a covenant. Come on. And if you don't know, most people get into a relationship, they haven't even went up this ladder. Hello. And sometimes, you know, when we fall in love with someone's potential, okay, we begin to bypass all this. Or am I speaking the truth here in love? Okay, all right. I've got about two more hours, so we're going to... We're going to keep going. Amen? Okay, so now, to be able to get into the realm of communication, you're going to have to understand temperament. You're going to have to understand that people that love you don't necessarily think like you do. Okay? All right? And so one of the main things that I had to learn, of course, I'm not into the Enneagram or any of that stuff because that's occultic in nature. Okay? But I do understand the basic temperaments. I do understand those. And being a counselor for 30 years, I know I can kind of categorize and kind of pinpoint a person's basic makeup. All right? 
Now, this is very easy to do, and I'm going to give you um, a real quick primer on it, okay? So basically, uh, it was said of Michelangelo that he took more effort in choosing what media he was going to use, whether it was stone or whether it was you know, marble or whatever it was, because he knew that he could fashion it in any shape he wanted, but he couldn't change what it was made of. And many times in relationships, we're trying to change what a person's made of. Because the initial desire that we have when we're married is to change our spouse into our image. And we don't even know we're trying to do it. Because we feel comfortable a certain way, we'll tend to, we'll tend to invoke pressure to modify. What do you mean you don't like Star Wars? I'm serious. People fight over this stuff. Yes, they do. Have fights. Sit down and have fights because they have a problem, you see, with the first three movies of the trilogy. And I tend to concur. Okay? All right? So th these are issues. What do you mean you don't like fishing? You knew I was going to hunt in November, didn't you? Hello, people will fight over this stuff because they haven't went through the process of developing the, the, the staircase of communication. They don't, they don't know. They don't have any idea that you had a secret desire to be this or to be that or to achieve this or to achieve that. They don't have any idea. They just thought, well, we're just going to get jobs and we're going to make money and we're going to have happily ever after. Well, it isn't that easy. Isn't that easy at all because people have dreams and desires. They have things on the inside of them that they haven't even told you yet. And sometimes these conversations are so uncomfortable for us that we don't even want to get up the ladder. We don't want to do it. It's just too much work. Man, I don't agree there. I don't agree with you there. Let's just shut it down. And a lot of relationships get down there and they just start how, how was your day? Oh, it was great, honey, fine, fine. You hear that word fine a lot. How are you? I'm fine. Are you really? You're taking blood pressure medicine. You're sucking down Rolaids. But you're fine. A lot of relate marriage relationships are stunted because they can't express their opinions, they can't express their feelings, and they can't express their dreams and desires. And if you and, and marriage was created for that to be the the um, the atmosphere or environment for those things to flourish. But I know some house and some relationship, they're just things you don't talk about. We just don't talk about that. How many have been in homes like that? We just don't talk about that. Hello. And so it begins to affect us to where we get very dysfunctional in our feelings. We get very dysfunctional in our dreams and desires. We get very dysfunctional in our opinions. Okay? So when we talk about the temperaments, we're talking about the four major, because every one is a combination 
of these four temperaments, just like the primary colors. You mix them together, you get all different colors, okay? All right, so you've got the primary, which is five to seven, depending on what kind of media artist you, you talk to, but you've got these primary colors. You mix them together, you get different variations, shadings, and different nuances of color. It's the same with the temperaments, okay? All right? So within that person, you've got a combination of different ways of looking at things, okay? Different ways of dealing with life and different ways of communicating about money, about sex, about beliefs, and about children, all right? So we all come from a different side, you know, if we had a beach ball, big, huge beach ball that was red and white, and we were all positioned around it, we would say, well, I see red, or I see white, I see red, I see white. You see what I'm saying? You put a big six on the floor, you got someone over there, to them it's a six, to the other person it's a nine, okay? That's the way you've got to understand it. To be carnally minded is death. To think it's about me, to think my opinion is the prime opinion, death. Love, joy, peace, patience, self-control. These are all fruits of the Spirit of God. And when they're operating, you know they're operating. It's not tolerance like the world teaches. It's walking in love. When you choose to walk in love, you know, you've got two buckets with you at all times. You've got a bucket of gas and you've got a bucket of water. And you've got a choice. In any given situation and relationship, when something flames up, you've got a choice. Either I'm going to take my water and I'm going to put it out, or I'm going to take my gas and I'm going to flame on. Burn, baby, burn. And when you get in these three things, the temptation is to use the gas. Because if someone differs with you in these three things, you want to burn them to the ground. And majority of your fights are not necessarily you listening and understanding. It's loading your mental gun to fire that death shot. You don't want to, let, you don't want to hear them. Because you've got your own gunpowder just fuming, ready to go. Ooh, you brought that up. Well, I've got something down here. I'm gonna from 1975. People fight like this. Noah talked about the whale. There's another whale. You can either yield to life or you can yield to death. Death and life are in what? Power of the tongue. So I use my tongue to either bring prosperity and blessing and life and peace or to bring death and destruction. And it's all there. So we have first, the first temperament is a sanguine temperament. Now this sanguine temperament, S-A-N-G-U-I-N, sanguine, E at the end of it, sanguine temperament, is the party person. Happy, 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 joy, joy, joy. 
and they're just happy about everything. Nothing gets them down. They can't get depressed and dip in the black when things don't go their way. But majority of the time, they want everybody to be happy. In fact, that's their answer. When the kids are really acting up and the husband is depressed because his job's not fulfilling, this is their answer. My mom was this. Happy up! <laughs> they love being around people. They love it. Absolutely love it. They'll forget their keys, but they'll know someone's name. They're very relational, highly relational. And they just love being in the center of attention. They are very, you know, they have a prone to narcissism because they like being the center of attention. They're cute. They're very cute. Even the ugly ones. <laughs> just kidding. No one. They're just cute. You just like them. They have an appealing personality. They, they're, they got a smile on their face. Now listen, they can burn a house down. They can, they can get, they can get, hello. They run the gamut of emotions. They can go from one extreme to the other. But majority of time, it's going to be about being popular. That's, that's what's most important to them, is that they want to be liked by everybody. Well, this definitely affects this ladder, does it not? It affects the ladder at all because guess what? They will have a tendency to not get up here because they want to be liked. And opinions don't necessarily make you uh, a liked person, especially when they differ from everyone else's, okay? The second one is known as the choleric, all right? The choleric temperament um, I'm not going to spell that, okay? C-H-O-L-E-R-I-C, choleric temperament, is the my way or the highway temperament. It means that their opinions are the only ones that matter, their feelings are the most important, and by golly, their dreams and desires are number one, and you better bow the knee to them. They operate in this high level here because they think, Listen, cholerics can have a God complex. It's real, very easy for them to have a God complex. They can think, you know, I'm the boss, and you need to do what I say because I'm right. I'm right, and you're wrong, okay? And so they're very, very demanding people, very high-energy people. They are extroverts, but they do have some introverted, you know, they... They, they don't love people like sanguines do. They use people. Now, I'm talking about the worst-case scenario. I'm talking about without the fruit of the Spirit operating in their lives. Amen? And so it, everything's got to be their way. If it's out of order, it ain't right. Okay? I'm married to a cleric. I'm a sanguine. By, by, you know, I, I love people. I like interacting with people. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not the disciplined one of the bunch. My wife is the most disciplined that there is. I am not. I am not disciplined. I do not like schedules. I do. I just don't. I just don't like them. You try to put my, you know, I, I, I did a day timer one time. Remember we had them big, thick day timers that we used to carry around before we had smartphones? 
And uh, I tried to do it. You know, every first of the year, like right now, I try to schedule myself, you know, and write down everything. And then I just ended up just burning that thing, just burning it on my desk. I don't like schedules. I don't like being told necessarily that I have to be somewhere at a given time. The clerics are usually the ones that tell you what time you're supposed to be there. So I'm married to someone that operates in a high level. Sometimes in our fights, I don't want to go up here because I know what she's going to say. I can tell you. <coughs> I can tell you exactly where we're going to go with this. So why even try? Come on. How many know what I'm talking about? You can say it nicely. You can bring up all the facts. You can bring up all the... But guess what? When it comes to it, her opinions are number one. All other are number two and lower. Hello. All right. And then you have the melancholy. And these are the fun ones. These are the perfectionists. Everything has to be totally their way. They're very, very... Um, oh, well. <laughs> organized. Okay? So, let, let's, let, you know, and then we got the phlegmatic. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to, I got to move because of time. But then we have the phlegmatic. And the phlegmatic is majority of the human race is phlegmatic. And the phlegmatic is, I, I don't want to call them, they're like burrows. Notice I didn't use mule. Okay. okay. Or the other word. But they're just, you know, they're just, you know, they just kind of, you know, kind of sluggish and kind of just, you know, they're very passive-aggressive. They'll sit on you. They'll just sit. You're trying to get somewhere? They'll just sit. And they'll ruin all your plans because they'll just sit there with their passive-aggressiveness. Won't say anything. You try to get explanation. You try to get a thought. Come on. Some of you are sitting next to them. <laughs> Choleric, when they're angry, you know it. Sanguine, they get angry, you know it. But not a phlegmatic. Not a phlegmatic. They can smile. Easy going. Just kind of, okay. So if we take these four things that we fight about, you're going to have a tendency that money is going to be an issue to the sanguine because there's not enough. Okay? A choleric, it's going to be, you know what, we need to spend it my way. I know you wanted that, but I really need this. And then the melancholic is going to wait until all of the circumstances are right. They're very, they, they lack trust. 
Melancholies don't trust unless everything is perfect. Okay? My wife is a choleric melancholic. Okay? I tend to be a sanguine phlegmatic. Okay? So those are two opposite ends of the spectrum. Take that, match.com. <laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. I am attracted to the very things that aggravate me about her. And she's attracted to the very things that she loathes at times. But when it comes to arguments, we both have a very different way of showing. A sanguine in an argument will slam doors, punch holes in walls. <laughs> Nothing ever happens like this in your house. Huh? <laughs> and I don't punch holes in walls, but I'm expressive. Okay, I'm expressive with my anger. You know when I'm mad. It doesn't happen very often, but you'll know it when I am. And she will have this, this kind of even burn. <laughs> She'll just have this even burn. It's not flash. It's just... <laughs> Where I'm just a flash... Woof! Just like Gene Simmons. Woof! Boom! And I'm done. Let's have sex. And she's like. It's kind of like that thing, that roller, you know, and you're, you're right here, and it's way back here, and it's, just keeps going. I'm going to get you. I'm going to roll you over. When you have a melancholic spouse, when it comes to sex, the planets have to be in alignment. Okay, it's just the truth. Everything has to be exactly perfect. They can't do it if there's dirty dishes. And that's why I tell men, sex begins in the kitchen. It does. If you want, you can tell when a man wants sex, he will do the dishes. He will... Yeah, they will. Look what I did. Come on, because, you know, hello. You got to be in the kitchen. You know, you don't want to be, while you hear dishes clanging, in the kitchen, you in the bedroom <laughs> it's not going to work. It's not going to work. 
Hello. <laughs> you know, so they, but they want everything perfect. Uh, kids usually have to be at least 50 miles away <laughs> because they still might hear. Everything has to be just right. House has to be cleaned. Grass has to be mowed. I'm serious. I mean, they want order. Their need is for order. I've got to have order in my life. They can't thrive in chaos. So a sanguine's idea is spontaneity, which is really a myth when it comes to sex because spontaneous sex is like trying to catch lightning in a bottle, okay? Um, it, it's true, okay? Planned sex is the best sex, especially when you get married and you have children. You've got to plan it. And the planning of it is actually as much fun as, well, not as... It's part of the fun <laughs> because you've got anticipation, you've got expectation, okay? And those are the things that worked in your dating life, okay? Not that you should do that when you're dating, but the anticipation of something special happening, something, you know, that brings you closer together, that, that expectation has to continue. You know, you have to pursue your spouse, Okay, not just the men pursue the women. They both have to be pursued if you're going to keep the magic, so to speak, in the relationship. You're going to go back and do the first works. Most people aren't pursuing one another. They're tolerating one another. And they don't get to these levels because I, I know people that have been married 20, 30 years don't even know these things. They just thought their opinions were the same as theirs. Well, I just always thought you thought the way that I did. Well, I never knew you thought that. I've heard this across my table. People that have been married. Well, I had no idea she thought that. I had no idea she believed that. I had no, well, did you ask? No. Why? We're busy raising kids. We're too busy being a chauffeur service. Hello. But then you have a phlegmatic. And the phlegmatic, you know, on the outward looks absolutely perfect because they don't get riled up about anything. But when they're, when they're married to a sanguine or they're married to choleric, it can be the most aggravating because they don't feel that they're passionate about what they're passionate about. Why is this not important to you? This is important to me. Why can't you see it this way? Why are you just sitting there? Why do you camp on the couch when we need to be doing something about this? See, this is how you see these temperaments fight about certain things. Do you understand that? So your spouse is a combination of those four, and you've got to find the dominant and the subordinate. And I, like I shared with you, my wife is choleric melancholy, okay? I am a sanguine in the fact that I love people. I like being 
you know, uh, popular at times. That's one of the things the devil uses against me in my leadership at times that I've had to cultivate. But understand this. The fruit of the Spirit causes you to be able to cover all the weaknesses of your temperament. Did you know that? When I, when I bring the fruit of the Spirit, you see, where a sanguine does not really have good self-control, the fruit of the Spirit comes and becomes my self-control. A choleric doesn't operate in a lot of joy and a lot of peace. But being born again and having the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit can bring that joy, can bring that peace. Do you see what I'm saying? A melancholic is tormented by the lack of order and doesn't have any peace. You see, no peace whatsoever in how their children are being raised and how their marriage is going. They tend to see the, the pitfalls in a situation. So if you're married to a melancholic and you are sanguine, and a sanguine is a big picture thinker, so they just see the big picture. A melancholy comes along and says, oh, well, you haven't looked at this, and you need to look at that, and there's a pothole here, and there's a problem here. And to a sanguine, that's like, I don't want that to hear that from you. You know, and it can cause contention. Rather than coming in here and getting to the high level and and having their strengths, which, which marriage should be, is where your strengths and weaknesses cover one another Amen. to make yourself one. We fight against one another. Well, you never like what I have to say. You never like the plans that I have. I try to make plans for this family, and you just throw all these curveballs. Well, no. God's, God's gifted your spouse to see things you don't see. Yeah, they need to come and see the big picture, but they also need to be able to say, well, this looks like this will be an obstacle and this could be an obstacle and we could have some problems here. You should be able to say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm going to pray about that. We're going to walk through this and we're going we're gonna to come together. Let Jesus guide us. Amen. Amen. And we're going to cover each other's weaknesses. Do you understand that? But most people aren't doing that. They're withholding their strengths. They're withholding their information because they're afraid to climb the ladder. They'd rather stay in the pleasantry and the facts exchange. And that's where they want to go. Well, your relationship isn't going to go anywhere. You could be married multiple years that way. Oblivious. But it's not the marriage God created. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not the marriage God created. You should be able to function with one another through the fruit of the Spirit in these three realms. Are you with me? So you've got all these different temperaments. Now, before I quit, I need to realize... So there, you have two languages, and I'm going to close with this basically that men and women and they're found in the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians the problem is is we're not feeding each other the proper fuel 
and we think that what feeds us and fuels us is the same for someone else, and it doesn't work that way. And so the Bible says, see that when in Ephesians 5, he talks about husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. He talks about submission. Now he's talking about our relationship with the Lord. He goes down at the end and he says, see to it that husbands love their wives and that wives respect or reverence their husbands. So here's the problem that a lot of marriages have is that we're trying to feed each other the wrong fuel. If you put diesel in a gas engine, it isn't going anywhere. All right? And, and if you put regular gas in a diesel engine, it's not going anywhere. It will sputter, it will cause problems, and it will eventually hurt the engine. All right? Well, a lot of people are trying to put the wrong fuel. So... You know, we've, we, we bought into the, the Beatles' ideology, all you need is love. Well, that's true if it's agape love. But they're not talking about agape love because they weren't even born again. Okay? Sorry. Sorry to you Beatle nuts, and I am one too. But it's the truth. They didn't know what love was. You can see by their personal lives that they don't. Okay? So uh, this all you need is love mentality is not true not to the husband because the husband's not looking for love he interprets love as what? respect so wives are trying to love their husbands love their husbands no, they're called to respect their husbands and husbands have reversed and they want to respect their wives no, but a, a, good, a wife thrives in being immersed in love. Well, she drives me crazy. Love her. Well, I don't understand her. Love her. You don't know what she's done. Love her. That's the answer. They swim in love and thrive in love. They are to be appreciated and loved and adored. And sometimes our flesh won't allow us to do that because we've got some axe to grind or some secret bitterness or some secret jealousy or envy that keeps us from moving up this ladder and getting into the realm where I don't care. I, I'm, you know, you can think differently than I can. You can have different dreams and desires. I love you. We may not be the same, but I love you. And that's how a woman a wife is going to thrive. She's going to thrive in a, in, a, in a man's love. And her response to him is going to be the appropriate response because she does not feel insecure in the relationship. Women begin to secrete insecurity when the man is not stable in his love for her. And then you've got to get into languages of love because there's different languages of love. I don't have time to go into them, but many times we try to love one another as we want to be loved, and it doesn't work. So if I'm given to physical touch or gifts, and I try to put that on my wife, and she is not in there, she is in acts of service... She's in a totally other realm. 
My gifts are not going to be effective, and they're not going to convey the proper message. But when I begin to be a student, and here's the key, begin to be a student of my spouse, stop being trying to develop revisions of me and begin to get my focus on them, then I begin to know what their proper fuel is. Amen? And then I can begin to operate and plan and begin to act in accordance with that. There are certain things I will not do just simply because I know my wife does not like them. There are clothes and things that I will not buy. Hello? As much as I like half shirts, I will not buy them. Fishnet half shirts, too. Just kidding. I won't buy them because I know she doesn't like them. Now, does that mean I'm in bondage to her? No. It just means I love her. I don't have women best friends. I don't flirt around on Facebook. I don't try to put myself in situations in which I'm alone with the opposite sex, not because of my ministry, but because I love her. And I don't want anything to get back to her that I have make her feel insecure. I stay away from certain things that she doesn't care for. I mean, even if I'm in another country where she would probably never know what was going on. That love guides me. And vice versa. Respect. The woman's respect. She respects me. Doesn't mean we don't contend. Doesn't mean we don't have disagreement. Doesn't mean we don't fight, because we do. It just means that she reverence who I am in her life, and she looks to me, you see, for provision and protection. Amen? And she gives me the proper respect. She doesn't go out with other women and talk me down or say that I'm this or I'm that or rate my performance. I remember she went to a ladies' meeting years ago with some pastor's wives, and she was absolutely appalled at the way they talked about their husbands. She said, I couldn't, I couldn't even understand it. Your marriage will go nowhere if you begin to downgrade your spouse to your parents, to your friends, It'll go nowhere because marriage is fueled by love and respect. Amen? That's a lot to take in today. Amen? But I'll tell you what, you get, get it, this is going to help you greatly. Amen? Now, we're going to have counselors that are going to be up here to pray with you. And some of you need prayer after today. They'll be here to pray for you if you need to be born again. Praise the Lord.